Amen. So Margie did an excellent job with the catechisms. Um, I had actually never heard catechisms before. I guess that kind of shows a little bit of my young self. But with those two questions, I think um, that, was, that was the sermon right there. That, I mean, we, I can walk down, we're done. Like, that was, that was it right there. It was perfect. Um, thank you also, worship band. You guys were nailed it. Um, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel. The Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all of your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. (sighs) Good morning, church. Um, I have the opportunity to start the uh, series of Having a Heart of Worship. Um, and although the series might just be starting, I feel like we've actually been talking about what worship is um, in our church for, for a little bit now. And so if your understanding of worship is that it is the songs, well, then your mind is going to be blown because it's not just about the music. Worship is about much more. It's, it's about a life um, that revolves around Jesus Christ. And so We're going to look into the scriptures more and see how that plays into it. But if you don't know me, if you're new here for the first time in person or online, uh, my name is Robert Russell. I'm the youth director here uh, at Trinity. And uh, hi, kids. Hi. Well, they didn't say hi back, but that's okay. I'm I'm not hurt or anything. It's it's fine. Um, For those of you who know me, it's not really hidden. I'm kind of a gentle person, gentle-natured. And sometimes I can be meek in terms of speaking in truth, speaking boldly, speaking with authority, Um, but not today, not today. I feel like the scripture that God has given me, the message that he's given me to give to you, um, I I know that someone is, their lives are going to be changed coming into the service today, that whatever you came in with, you're not going to leave with. If you have to, you can walk out those doors again, drop whatever baggage you have, come back in empty-handed, because when we come empty-handed into a worship service like this, God is ready to give you something. And if you come in with your hands full, what can he give you? Nothing, because your hands are full. So getting choked up already, not sure how we're going to make it through, but uh, we'll go, we'll go for it. Um, Let's open our Bibles. If you have your Bible, get ready for a sword drill. We're going to go to... I'll give it a second, actually. Let's see some Bibles here. All right. Turn to Mark 12, 28 through 34. Again, that's Mark chapter 12, verse 28 through 34. It will also be on the screen. That's all right. So if it, just, just listen with us here. Verse 28, one of the teachers of the religious law was standing there listening to the debate. He realized that Jesus had answered well, so he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. The second is equally important. Love the Lord as yourself. 
Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. The teacher of the law replied, Well said, teacher. You've spoken the truth by saying that there is only one God and no other. And I know it is important to love him with all of my heart, all of my understanding, and all of my strength, and to love my neighbor as myself. This is more important than to offer all burnt offering sacrifices required by the law. Realizing how much this man understood, Jesus said to him, you are not far off from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. My first question after reading this was, God, how is this passage going to lead us to having a heart of worship? If the series is about having a heart of worship, then what is the scripture saying here about having a heart of worship? And we're going to get to that, and uh, just bear with us here. uh, Yeah, me. Um, (laughs) How does this help us have a heart of worship? I hope that when you read the Bible, you ask questions. I hope that when you are reading it, when you're having a devotional time, you're looking at the Word and you're saying, God, I don't understand. What, what does this mean? Right? Because when we read the Word and we just read it, all we're doing is becoming physically more knowledgeable. We're not becoming any more spiritually wise. And that's why God wants us to know Him. He wants us to have a relationship with Him. So when we ask God, please help me understand this, or we say, I'm going to meditate on this word for the rest of the day. That is, those are the steps we need to take after reading scripture. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Let's believe that today. Let's believe that Mark 12.28-34 is more than just words to be read. It's more than that. It's more than a recollection of a story. It's, it has the power to transform our lives today. Now, if you've brought something to take notes with, um, if you haven't already, go ahead and take those out. Um, if not, that's fine. But here are the three main points that we're going to be covering today. First, we're going to be talking about how burnt offerings and sacrifices are less valued than the greatest commandment. Second, that, loving your, that we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourself. And then third, that God, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So the first point. We're going to start with the uh, end of the passage, verse 33. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. So something I want you to notice here is uh, a little bit of context. In this time, the Jewish law required burnt offerings and sacrifices as the only way to atone for your sin. It was the only way to be in right standing with God. And an expert of the law is saying loving God and loving your neighbor is more important than these things. That, that just, that shouldn't have happened. And this is why Jesus said that you're not far off from the kingdom of God, right? And that statement that he said, that loving God and loving your neighbor is more important than burnt offerings and sacrifices, that's more true today than it is then. And so let's, let's get into that a little bit more. Your burnt offerings, your sacrifices are worth, worth less 
Then loving God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices are worth less than loving your neighbor as yourself. Nothing you do is more valuable than these two things that we've just said. Um, I assume that, and I assume a lot of things sometimes, but I assume that no one here does uh, burnt offerings or sacrifices currently. <laughs> now, okay, so the chuckles make me think now. That's, okay, good. So for a clear image, I think we're gonna throw in some context here and then uh, see what it produces. There were two mandatory, that's four, two mandatory sacrifices in the Old Testament. First is a sin offering. The purpose of the sin offering was to atone for sin and cleanse from defilement. The other was a trespass offering, and this was atonement for unintentional sin. The third, which was a burnt offering, was a voluntary offering and was similar to sacrifices. However, with burnt offerings, nothing was kept, not for the individual, not for the priests. So let's take that information, let's take the cultural context, let's make it so that we can apply it to our lives today, because I'm not going to leave you in a place where you're like, that was some good knowledge, right? We're going to move from knowledge to spiritual wisdom. The gist is that they would do those things to get in right standing with God. They would have these burnt offerings, they'd have these sacrifices to be in right standing with God. We don't have to do that, and we're going to get to that more, but we don't have to do that anymore. Jesus. Um, so what is it in your life right now, and this, is, this can be a thinking moment, what is it in your life that you're doing to be in right standing with God? What is it that you're trying to do to atone for the sin in your life? If in your mind you're saying, well, all I have to do is repent, you're correct, but we're human. Do we always do that? I challenge that we don't. We don't always repent. We don't always go to God and say, God, I understand there's nothing I can do to make you love me more or less, and so I'm sorry. I have a story for you. So again, if you're new, uh, I have two little girls. Ruby is um, my oldest, and she's 19 months now. She's adorable. She's cute. She's so sweet. But she's not always so sweet, right? She's still a child, and she's still learning boundaries. Uh, she's learning what she's allowed to do, and she's learning what she's not allowed to do. I wish that... Uh, I wish I could just say, Ruby, no, 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 don't do that, walk away. And she'd be like, oh, yeah, sure, okay, right? But she doesn't. She, she hears me, and she's like, let me, just, let me just keep going. Let's see what happens here. And she'll, she will keep pushing that boundary until I have to intervene, and she gets in trouble. When she realizes she gets in trouble, well, what does she do? She, she's, she wants to give me a kiss, or she wants to give me a hug, or she wants to give me a gift. Generally, those gifts are rocks or dirt. I don't really want those, but... They're gifts, and I love them, right? I love all of those things that she does. But the reason, the intent for doing those was to say, I'm sorry, when all she had to do was say, I'm sorry. She didn't have to give me a kiss. She didn't have to give me a hug. She didn't have to give me those gifts. She just had to say, I'm sorry. And so that's the first point that we're trying to make today. We don't have to do these burnt offerings and sacrifices to get in right standing with God. We just have to say sorry. But still, often people will seek, and I'm, I'm a part of that people, right? I'm not above you guys, and so I'm a part of that. Sometimes we seek to do something good to make us feel better about what we've done. Maybe volunteering, maybe coming to church on a Sunday, maybe it's paying for someone's meal, maybe it's helping the homeless. These are things we should be doing as Christians, 
And yet, if we're doing them to get in right standing with God, if we're doing it to say, God, I'm sorry, that's not what he desires. He desires for us to do it because he loves us, because we love him, right? It's because we love him that we're supposed to do those things. And that's, that's what we're hitting on today. That is what a heart of worship is. A heart of worship is doing things out of the overflow of loving God. We're going to turn to 1 Samuel 15, 22. And Samuel said, As the Lord is great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen better than the fat of rams. Moving on to point two, if you're taking notes. I know some people are very linear and they like to do that note. It's helpful. It's helpful. I like it too. What brings us to having a heart of worship? Let's just start with a couple of facts. It requires us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It requires us to say yes to God. It requires us to have a relationship with God. It requires as we've read in Mark, it requires two things. The greatest commandment, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. In Dan's uh, sermon series a couple months ago, I'd say a couple, but it was probably more like three or four, messy neighboring. If you remember that, then that's a gold star. If not, well then, you should go back and listen to them. They were fantastic, chef's kiss. Um, yeah, sorry, I do, I do like nuance sometimes. I'll, yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> I, hope, I hope that with Dan's sermons, you've been um, listening to them, hearing something from them, and then applying those to your life. Our, the job of a preacher isn't necessarily to um, get up here and give a good sermon. It's not necessarily to do a bunch of studying and then just recite that studying to you. It's it's to be a vessel for the Lord, giving the word to you guys so that you can take them and you can apply them to your lives. That's why you come on Sunday, hopefully. Hopefully that's why you come on Sunday, is is to learn, is to grow. Because otherwise, then you're you're coming here to uh, be in right standings with God. You want to be here because you love God, right? Let's continue. So if you haven't been applying those things of messy neighboring, here's another opportunity. We are going to uh, read the parable of the Good Samaritan. And fun fact, for all of you fun fact lovers, this, uh, in, in, if you look in Luke, the Good Samaritan is right after Jesus has given the greatest commandment. So these, are, these go hand in hand. These are very applicable together. The Good Samaritan, summarized by Robert. A priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan are walking down the road. The priest sees a man that's been beaten, dying on the side of the road, and he looks, and he walks away. The Levite, seeing the man, does the same, looks, keeps on walking. The Samaritan sees the man, stops, helps him, he bandages his wounds, he cares for him, he brings him to an inn, and he gives him provisions so that he can survive longer while the man isn't there. After this parable, Jesus asks, who was the neighbor to the dying man? 
the expert of the law says, and remember, the expert of the law is the same man that we're reading about who's questioning Jesus in Mark. The expert of the law says, the man who had mercy on him. I'm going to let that sit with you for a moment. The man who had mercy on him. There is no geographical, there is no cultural, there is no language barrier as to who your neighbor is. Your neighbor is anyone who you have mercy on. Your neighbor can be anyone. You have to have mercy on them. With a proper definition of who our neighbor is, I now have a possibly more challenging question for some of you. And, And that, let's go back to the scripture. It says, love your neighbor as yourself. We've defined neighbor, now we have to find yourself. If we are to love our neighbor biblically, if we are to love our neighbor the way God has intended, then we have to have a proper view of ourself. So the question is, what is your view of yourself? That can be hard for many. It was hard for me growing up and it's still hard for me, right? And so uh, it can be, identity is a thing that uh, Satan loves to attack. We were created in the image of God. We were created in the image of God, all of us. And so Satan wants us to forget that. Satan wants us to distract ourselves from that. He wants us to warp and lie about who we are and what God calls us. And so in a moment, I'm going to read off a list of promises and things that God calls us. And they're all based in Scripture. Right, I have uh, sheets outside actually, um, and they're I called it. I don't have it on here, but it, I'm calling it the identity markers. Right, these are all identities that we are given in Christ. When you become saved, you have these identities, and so they are they're sitting out there. If we run out, I'll print more. Um, but I I encourage you if you have ever struggled or continue to struggle with identity that you would you would take one on your way out today. So if you would, um, I'm actually going to ask you to close your eyes. You are a child of God. You are a friend of God. You have been justified and redeemed in Jesus. Your old self was crucified with Christ, and you are no longer a slave to sin. You will not be condemned by God. You have been accepted by Christ. In Christ Jesus, you have wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. You are joined to the Lord and are one spirit with him. You are a new creation in Christ. You have become the righteousness of God in Christ. You have been made one with all who are in Christ Jesus. You have been set free in Christ. You are chosen, holy, blameless before God. You are redeemed and forgiven by the grace of Christ. Because of God's mercy and love, you have been made alive with Christ. You are God's workmanship, created to produce good works. You have been brought near to God by the blood of Christ. You are a member of Christ's body and a partaker of his promise. 
The peace of God guards your heart and mind. God supplies all of your needs. You have been made complete in Christ. You are forever loved. You are forgiven. God is always with you. God says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And Jesus died because you were worth it. God, I, I want to stop and pray, God. Um, I just feel a sense of uh, identity crisis. I feel like there is someone dealing with just lies. So Lord, I, I pray for all of us in this room that um, we would just believe the words that we've just heard, that through scripture we can believe the identity that you give us when we, when we decide to give our life to you. We thank you for, for who you call us to be and, and how much you've loved us. Pray that in the amen. I can't, I can't make you believe these things. I can, I can give you the list. I can share these things with you. I can give you the scripture as to why you should believe these things, but I can't make you believe them. But God can. Through prayer, God can and will restore your identity. Again, if, you, if any of these hit you in, um, in your identity, you should, you should grab a paper at the end of the service. When I read this list, I'm, I'm brought to a thankfulness for God. I'm brought to a thankfulness because of this kind of love. This is not a normal kind of love. Jesus died while we were still sinners. Let's remember that. We were his enemy, and, and yet he had mercy on us. This is a reason to worship. If there is anything else in your life, this is the reason to worship. He is God, and he loves you. If he loved you while you were still a sinner, you can love your neighbor. Whether they're a Christian or not, they're your neighbor, and you were called to love them. If God had mercy on you, you can have mercy on them. If you, your neighbor was made in the image of God, let's remember that. All of us, all of creation, all of all of humanity was made in the image of God. Your neighbor was made in the image of God. They might not know that, but that, that's a fact. And for that fact, you are to love them. And that's why I think God, Jesus, spoke these two commandments together. Love God and love your neighbor. He put them together because loving the image of God in your neighbor is loving God himself. So what can you do? How can you have mercy on your neighbor? You thought I was going to leave you without options. Uh, 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 no, that's not me. Here are some options. You can do all, or you can do at least one. Please do at least one. Your neighbor is anyone. Let's remember that. So you can pray for your neighbor. You can learn about your neighbor. You can give them a call. Maybe the weather's bad. Find out if they need help. You can invite them over for a lunch, for some coffee. Learn about them. Find out who they are. Everyone has a story. You can serve. There are food banks, homeless shelters, nursing homes. You can help at a local school. You can write a letter to your neighbor. You can just drop a little encouragement in their mailbox, anything. Those are some ways you can help your neighbor. Those are some ways you can have mercy on them. So let's move to point three, if you're following wrong with notes. Verse 29 and 30, Jesus replied, 
the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And you must love the Lord with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and all of your strength. The word love in this passage comes from the Greek root word agape. Agape is the strongest type of love, let's just be clear. And when we agape love, we see him as honorable, true, and loving. We trust him and respond to this trust with obedience. If you've ever had kids or been around kids or been a teacher or any sort of thing like that, you can get kids to be obedient, right? You can bribe them with something, you could, whatever it is, you can get them to be obedient. Well, if they're being obedient because they have to, you can tell. You can tell when they're dragging their feet. Yeah, all right, all right, I'll do it, I'll do it. But that's not the type of agape love that we're talking about. That's not the type of obedience that God is looking for. He's looking for an obedience that comes out of love, okay? Moving on from that, let's define heart, mind, soul, and strength. Um, right, right now, I'm going to have a couple of Greek things, um, but we're gonna, I'm going to explain everything, and you're going to fully understand, so just bear with me here. Heart comes from the Greek word cardia. It means the center of one's life, whether physical, spiritual, or mental. The heart drives one's beliefs, emotions, thoughts, and intentions. Soul is from the Greek word psyche, which is similar to heart, but focuses on the forces that keep us alive. Mind comes from the Greek word dianoia, and again has a similar definition to heart, but it focuses on the mental. Heart, soul, and mind covers every aspect of our personalities, our beings, our thoughts, everything that influences our feelings, desires, intentions, where heart, soul, and mind determine how we feel and what we do, strength is the determining factor of how much we put into our heart, mind, and soul. Having a heart of worship is, it's, it's easy to define, but it, it's a, it can also be a difficult thing to define because there are a lot of things that we need to do personally to, um, to believe, right? As I mentioned before, our identity in Christ, those things can be hard to believe, right? To believe that you are forgiven, that can be hard. And so let's clarify some things in worship. Biblical worship is acknowledging that God is king and the result of living in light of that truth. When we ask someone, how was worship today? Our response shouldn't be, yeah, the music was great. The emotion of the moment was fantastic. I really felt God's presence in the song. A biblical response would be, worship was great. My heart was convicted. I humbled myself. I committed to obeying to Jesus. I'm going to forgive the people who have wronged me. The whole, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to empower me to continue to forgive those who have hurt me. And I'm going to follow through with it as an act of worship. The act of bowing down in worship is a picture and a posture of a heart that obeys Jesus. In the New Testament, the most common word for worship was proskuneo. 
and is defined as this, kneeling or laying down, whether in order to express, express respect or to make supplication. God is holy, perfect, just, and loving, and so many other things. We'd be here a very long time if I continued. We are sinners saved by grace. I am a sinner saved by grace. Coming before a holy God, only on the basis of Jesus Christ can I come before, Jesus, come before God. There is no room for pride and adoration. There is no room for us to say, I have done enough to come before God. I have done enough to atone for the sin in my life. There's nothing, nothing. It is only by God's mercy that we can come before him through Jesus Christ. True worship is about God. We revere, we honor, and we adore him. Not because of what he does in our lives, but because of who he is. That, that is it. It is who he is that is the center of worship. We shouldn't worship because of the circumstances in our lives, whether good or bad. We should, circum we should worship because of who he is. I'm going to try and keep nailing that down because that is, that is it, guys. Singing songs to God, feeling his presence during worship, raising our hand, singing. They're all ways to worship. I'm not saying they're not. Let's not, let's not take that and, and run with it. They are ways to worship. But there's more. Praying to God is an act of worship. Enjoying his creation. Having a devotional time. You're going to be shocked at this, but going to work. Repentance is an act of worship. Anything you do, anything you do, out of love for God is an act of worship. Again, like I said, I really hope I didn't lose you in the Greek. <laughs> um, in my mind, definitions help me. Um, they help me clarify so that I can put it together and, and kind of see the bigger picture. And, and that's what I want. I want us all to be on the same page with the definitions. I want us to all understand um, where I'm coming from when I'm, when I'm saying some of these things. Being obedient to God, that's the way to, to atone for us. And listening to Christ, following Christ, saying yes to God, that is it. If we do things because we feel bad of our sin, if that's why we're, we're here at church, if that's why we serve, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge that, that that's not it. That's not what God desires. He accepts it because he loves you. That is, that is not the end. That is, that is what we need. We need the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit to work in us to get to the point of saying, God, I'm doing this because I love you. There's no other reason except for that. So the question is, why do we follow the greatest commandment? Where does our sense of obedience come from? Well, I have a passage for you in Matthew 22. I'm going to read the, the wedding banquet parable. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner 
My oxen and fatted cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no mind and went off. One to his field, another to his business. The rest seized the servants, mistreated and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to the servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go out to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out to the streets, gathered all the good and the bad, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. The good and the bad. Accepting God's invitation to come to the wedding, that is where our life changes. That's, if, there, if you're doing a timeline, that is where your life hits a new trajectory. Saying yes to God. Loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, that's where our heart of worship is grounded. After everything we've discussed today, I want to go back to the first question that I asked, which was, how does the greatest commandment lead us to having a heart of worship? And the answer to the question is in the question. Having a heart of worship is following the greatest commandment. Having a heart of worship should be anchored in loving God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. Again, that is your personality. That is everything you are, everything you hold dear, everything you value, everything you believe, everything. With all of your strength. That is what loving the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, and soul, and strength is. Remember that loving, remember that the love you have for God comes not from circumstances, but because of who he is. It's that simple. It's who he is that we are to ground our love for God in. It was Jesus, right? He died on the cross for us. He suffered all so that we can live freely. God loved us so much, he sent his only son so that we can say yes to him. Jesus is the invitation to the wedding banquet. So say yes to Jesus. Say yes because he's already prepared it. All you have to do is say yes and come. Obedience is not a chore. It's an honor because he is worthy to be praised. He deserves for us to have a heart of worship. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again just for everything that you mean to us. I just pray that our, our knowledge and understanding of you grows just a little bit every day. Lord, that as we as we set our focus on you, as we meditate on your word, that we would truly understand what it means to worship you with our heart, mind, soul, and spirit, and with all of our strength, Lord. Lord, we know that we are we're human. We recognize that without you, we are weak, but in you, we are strong. You make us strong. You make us able. So, Lord, give us the strength to carry out this commandment. Give us the strength to do this to the best of our ability. Give us the strength to love our neighbor, not because of any quarrel we might have or because of the kindness that they've shown us, but because they have 
your image in them. We love you, and we just ask that you would go with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.